Church Dads Podcast. Join Mark Haas and Curtis Ketty as they discuss faith, family, liturgy, current events, and fatherhood. Be a part of the discussion by emailing churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. Now, here are the dads. Hello, 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 hello. This is the Church Dads Podcast, and we're joining you now in the month of December, the first Monday of December, as we come to you the first Monday of every month. And I'm joined today, of course, by Curtis Ketty. Hello. Nice sweater, Curtis. I like it. Thank you. Yeah, this is a uh, one of my favorite kinds of sweater, a button-up sweater. Uh, Makes me feel a little bit like uh, Mr. Rogers, which is... Something, you know, I can aspire to proudly, sure. feel like that guy. And you need that sweater because it's freezing cold. It definitely is here. We're in like the mid-20s for the last three days. Oh, yeah. We got hit by a big storm, and uh, there's snow everywhere, and I'm definitely missing those beautiful fall days that I was expecting to get, but winter has co-opted the rest of autumn, mm-hmm. it looks like. So, um, yeah. Now, well, is this... Is this the first year you've been in the position you're in as a catechist and you've been in this like wintry four seasons year? Is this your first like winter to coincide with the liturgical year as a teacher? No, no. This is my second. Oh, the second one. Okay. Yeah, this is my second. And it is, we are very blessed to live in this hemisphere where we see in the natural world things that help us enter more deeply into the liturgical year. It's not necessary, but it's like an added bonus. Isn't it so helpful? Sure. It is. Yes. So by the time we broadcast this show, yes, we are in the first week of Advent, and that's our discussion today is nice. ad- Advent. So what a perfect month for this as we've just kicked off the season. And the year, because it's, you know... That's right. Happy New Year. year. Yep. Happy Year C. C for Church Dads Podcast. That's right. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, the season of Advent. And Advent is a unique season because it exists not for itself, but it exists for a different season. And so, um, you know, if you look at things we we have in life, you know, there's other things like that, like Advent. Um, for instance, maybe an engagement, like you and Amy got engaged Renee and I have this engagement. We don't get engaged for the sake of the engagement. And most of us just kind of want to get through the thing and let's get married already <laughs> most of the time. Or, or for instance, you know, I'm a big, Curtis, you're a big baseball fan. I'm a big football fan. And there's baseball is, uh, what do you call it, spring training. Right. Or, or football would have preseason games. Well, nobody, nobody would say, oh, I'm so excited because I've got, preseason tickets <laughs> for the Browns. You know, nobody runs to grab those tickets. I'm not saying we don't get excited about Advent. But these are all things that exist in themselves, not for themselves, but for the preparation of another season. Advent, in the case is uh, in the case of Advent, it's Christmas. Yes. Anyway. It's true, and actually, if you look at the whole liturgical year, um, you could say... That just like within the week, everything either is moving towards Sunday or flowing from Sunday. 
in liturgical year, everything is either moving towards Easter or flowing from Easter. And so here we have the beginning of the liturgical year, and we are beginning to ascend the summit to Easter Sunday. Like, that's that's what this journey is about. So yes, Advent is looking forward to Christmas, but Christmas is looking forward to Easter. And then, you know, from Easter, we we have Pentecost and these beautiful weeks of ordinary time leading to the end of the world, which, you know, we just celebrated at the end of November, Christ the King, the universe. So I'm... Uh, this is exciting. We get to begin again as we move towards the Easter season. So even Christmas in, is in and of itself not enough. It is leading us onwards. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So we mentioned different everyday life stuff like marriage and sports, these different things that have preparatory um, uh, periods of time. And so this is a dad show. So, you know, quite naturally, I think we are obviously preparing for the first child um, in a very unique way because not only do we not know what the heck we're doing, we've never done it before, and you can't really prepare for it. So we're preparing for something you can't really prepare for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think, now let's see, it would have been about six years ago that we would have been preparing for our first. And yeah, you're right. It's like, you have no idea what to expect. I think I read like six books and, you know, I put the crib together, you know, like you're trying to do all the things you taking the classes. You're going to like prenatal appointments. You're getting things measured and weighed and like, um, and there's that sense of anticipation, but there's also that sense of, um, you know, like our life is about to be irrevocably changed. Like our life as it is right now, we are saying goodbye to it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I mean, at least that was my experience. It's like things that we could do as a couple. We had this increase in awareness, not nearly the level of awareness we should have had, but we had an increasing awareness that like going out to eat, or going to go see a movie, or going to grab coffee, or going to sit down at night and watch something on TV, all of these things, we had the sense that we were taking them for granted, like that we were no longer going to be able to to do those things in the same way. And we had no idea just how devastating, <laughs> like mm -hmm. our life would be destroyed, just prah, totally ripped apart. But we knew something was going to change. And so we had this element of sacrifice i think as well we we're like okay we're we're giving some things up in order to have this child what what was your experience oh yeah very similar and uh you know you do the like the hospital visit you got to schedule that you got to schedule the hospital visit and you like you're walking with a group of people that you know look clueless and they're walking <laughs> through and they'll bring you into the birthing room and they're like here are your stirrups, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> and then I remember they, they put on those like giant spotlights and they're like, <laughs> I was like, wow, wow you... they showed you that, huh? I know. I was like, you can't hide in that room. You cannot hide. Wow. Even though. Now here's the pail that you will be throwing up in, fathers. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Um, <clears throat> I tried to hide during the actual thing, but <laughs> you know, work. I did not because we, we had our first was an emergency C-section. So, um, we were in the, the surgery, the surgical bay or whatever you call it. 
and um, they yeah they put up like a a blue curtain, mm-hmm. and I I don't know what came into my head, but I said, "Can I watch?" And they're like, "Sure, if you want to." And so I kind of left Amy down like at my waist level, and I just kind of peer up over this blue tarp, and there she there's her belly. It's like. It's like a huge mountain, a shiny mountain. The belly that we'd been protecting and taking care of for all of this time. Anyway, so nothing could have prepared me for that moment. And if, in fact, nothing did because all of our classes were about something totally different. It's like, here's what the birthing experience is going to be like. And that's not what happened for us. So, yeah. I mean, we tried to prepare, but you could just never be prepared. This is the Church Dads podcast, unedited director, unedited director's cut. <laughs> you would be the one that would be like, "Can I watch?" I I was curious. I mean, isn't that how all horrible things begin? I was just curious. You know, I would have been like, "Okay, so is the waiting room like over there? <laughs> can I take this magazine? Where can I smoke this cigar? <clears throat> you know, when the time comes." Okay, so anyway. preparation. So you got to you got to the end of it there, Curtis. Thank you for that colorful <laughs> story. Of course, we're talking about preparation, and nothing could have prepared you for um, nothing could have prepared you for that, right? And that's why you were in shock. No, no. no. So, what kind of things did you prepare for? Like, what um, what did you do? I I was very unprepared. I I I knew I, I knew I didn't know what I was preparing for, and. Uh, I just, I just, I guess I sort of figured when it arrived, it, not it, but when our new life arrived and the baby arrived, that, that we would just sort of instinctively know what to do. So I didn't think too much about it. I mean, so we didn't do like a birthing class. We didn't, we did birth, visit the hospital. Uh, we did a breastfeeding, breastfeeding class. The only class we really did was that one, which blew my mind. I was amazed. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and uh, to the point where we both were um, unbelievably amazed and um, just kind of changed our whole thinking of that. And so that's, that's what we do now. But as you know, with our first that came along, Curtis, um, we had it kind of easy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, were you preparing to have to wake up in the night to a screaming child four or five times a night? Oh, and then suddenly you get a child who sleeps through the night the second week for the rest of their life? Yeah, 15 I, hours at a stretch. <laughs> oh, I was unprepared for this. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. So you read eight books. I read zero. I don't know. I think I, I don't know. It goes up <laughs> by two every time. I read 10 books. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all I know is that uh, all of my reading, it really did nothing but just sort of, it was like, Somebody coming behind me and just stroking my back, saying, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. That's, I think, the only thing those books really did for me. Um, and, you know, it's funny, too, because now we're, we have three. We have three kids. And that first kid is like, you are you want everything just exactly right. Like, I mean, we were making him the best food like we would clean everything really, really well all the time. The third kid, they drop food on the ground. We pick it up. We like break it into three parts and give it to the three kids. We'll take some of ourselves. You know, like it's, we're totally disgusting now. You know, I don't know what it is, but yeah, you can't, 
yeah, going from new parent to like a veteran parent, like I feel like I am a soldier in the trenches during World War One, and I've been here for like five straight months. And then like a new parent is someone who's just arrived with their, their like new pressed uniform and their shiny gun. And they're like, where's the battle at? And I'm like, shut up. You don't know anything. Be quiet. You know, like you're going to be dead in a day anyway. They're not going to even get to know you. So it's so true. That might Less- be a little extreme, but that's how yeah. I good. Well, this is the church dad's podcast. <laughs> Uh, that was a, a quick recap of how our prep, uh, how we prepared to be dads, anyway. Maybe your experience is different. You should let us know. Email us at churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. When we come back, we will um, speak a little bit more specifically about the preparation of Advent within our church and um, within the Christian life. So stick with us. This is the Church Dads Podcast. Like what you hear? Have a question concerning family, fatherhood, or faith? Email the dads at churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. Happy Advent. This is the Church Dads Podcast. We're talking about Advent and uh, preparation and preparing our hearts and our homes and our churches for the coming of the Lord. And uh, Curtis had a, uh, a very interesting um, poem to start with, didn't you, Curtis? I do have a poem here. And this is by J.R.R. Tolkien, so a little connection to a previous podcast. But uh, the reason I love this poem is that Advent, the word Advent actually means arrival. So just like Lent means spring, but it takes place in the winter. You know, here Advent means arrival, and we're looking forward to that arrival. But it, 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 the implication is that Advent is actually a time of darkness and waiting. I like to think of arrival as, I like to think of arrival as like the dawning of a sun, and we are waiting in the darkness for the sunrise. Um, so it's really like this hope in the darkness is what Advent's about. And I think Tolkien grasps the whole season of Advent really well in this poem titled Noel, um, the only Christmas poem he ever wrote or anything on Christmas. He says this, Grim was the world and gray last night. The moon and stars were fled. The hall was dark without song or light. The fires were fallen dead. The wind in the trees was like to the sea, and over the mountain's teeth it whistled bitter cold and free as a sword leapt from its sheath. The lord of snows upreared his head, his mantle long and pale, upon the bitter blast was spread and hung o'er hill and dale. The world was blind, the bows were bent, all ways and paths were wild. Then... The veil of cloud apart was rent, and here was born a child. Man. Awesome. That sets the tone. I love it. Because, yeah, it's in the darkness. It's in the violence. It's in the cold and the death of winter. 
when all seems lost, that the veil of cloud apart is rent. And, you know, here is born a child. And, you know, Advent is not about twinkling lights and Christmas carols and the joys of Christmas. Advent is about the darkness and waiting and watching and praying and preparation and penance and quiet reflection so that when those clouds are, you know, torn apart, you know, and Christ comes, you know, the joy is so full. And I think, you know, that's that's where we fail every year. You know, we fail because we, we skip Advent because we want to get to Christmas. We just see Advent as the Christmas season. And then once Christmas Day is over, we stop celebrating because we're sick of Christmas carols. We've been listening to them for five weeks. You know, I don't want to hear any more Christmas carols. And um, it's really too bad because the church gives us this opportunity, just like Lent, to really prepare our hearts, to really strip away all those things that are distracting us. And, and not only put ourselves back into the place of those who waited for the Messiah, who waited for Christ to be born, but by doing that, we also um, renew our own anticipation of Christ's final coming, which is why, you know, the first Sunday of Advent, like all the readings are about the end of the world. Because um, we're yeah, the second coming. And it's easy for us today because the covenant's been fulfilled and we know to some degree, we somewhat know the end of the story. Well, for the orig- if you want to think of it, the original Advent, God's chosen people, I mean, these were like, these were a people that had kind of made it, at least they thought, and then they lost everything quite tragically. And so the four-week Advent, okay, um, that's one thing today. Well, imagine, what, a 490-year Advent? Oh, longer than that. Untold millennia. Because, I mean, we're talking from the moment Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden. The world was plunged into sin and darkness and death. And it's like from that moment on, there's this like longing for restoration. How is it going to come? And yet it seems the promises are made and they seem to be fulfilled in Israel and the kings of Israel, David and Solomon. But yeah, it all falls apart. And, you know, like the royal line is decimated and the Jerusalem and the temple are destroyed. And yeah, they're plunged into this really dark time and yet we still have all the prophecies of Jeremiah like that one one day all things will be restored you know the catechism has one paragraph that speaks about advent just one in the entire catechism um, it's paragraph 524 it says this when the church celebrates the liturgy of advent each year she makes present this ancient expectancy of the messiah so she makes present that expectancy For by sharing in the long preparation for the Savior's first coming, the faithful renew their ardent desire for his second coming. By celebrating the precursor's birth and martyrdom, that's John the Baptist, by celebrating the precursor's birth and martyrdom, the church unites herself to his desire. He must increase, but I must decrease. And that, I think, is the... The way you sum up Advent is those words of John the Baptist. He must increase, I must decrease. This four-week period, we decrease, and we ask him to increase. And it's really, I mean, like like I said, we're so blessed to live in 
where we do in the Northern Hemisphere, where the days are physically increasing in darkness. Like, the days are actually getting shorter, and we don't have as much light, and, you know, the darkness is starting to overwhelm us, you know, and the turning point is actually Christmas. It's right there on the the equinox that it, like, turns, and the days begin to increase again. I mean, it's this beautiful, um, just like this natural way of teaching. It's like, yeah, it's dark, and it's getting darker, it's getting darker, but soon he will increase. He will increase. The light will come. It's like first you see the sun, the light's just starting to change on the horizon. You don't see the sun yet, and you get that beautiful sort of um, twilight. Like it's kind of a, dare I say, purpley violet color, you know, as the sun is preparing to come up. And I, I think that's, that's what I think of when I think of Advent. I think the sun is about to rise. I love it. Yeah, it's interesting you brought up John the Baptist, because the 490 years I was referring to was oh. when Gabriel, oh, the angel Gabriel, yes. appears to Daniel, and all is lost, and, you know... Daniel 9? Is that right? Yeah, but, but I believe so. And so the angel Gabriel, we only think of the angel Gabriel for going to Mary, but haha, he has appeared before. He goes to Daniel, and he says... He doesn't say 490 years. It's like, what, some seven 70, times? 70 weeks, yeah. Yeah, but to the day, it was 490 years that the angel Gabriel appears to Zechariah. Yes. Who is the father of John the Baptist. Yes. And then he appears to Mary. And what's interesting is the first person on earth, you might say, to recognize the Lord Jesus is an unborn child, John the mm. Baptist. Mm. The first person to recognize that Christ is even on the earth is an unborn child, mm. John the Baptist. He leapt in his mother's womb. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I never thought about that, the first person to recognize Jesus. I mean, other than maybe his mother, but the other person was an unborn person that recognized Christ. Yeah, actually, that's a beautiful passage for... Um, I mean, if you're talking to another believer who believes in the Scripture, like, that's a great passage to point to, to, to show that, you know, that there's a human life in the womb, yes. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, like, some things that we do to try to mark Advent in, in our home. I mean, it's like Advent is a very countercultural time for Catholics and for Christians. Like, we need to stand firm. And I, I can come off as a bit of a Scrooge. Like, I'm a little bit of, like, a bah humbug, all this Christmassy stuff. Because I really, I, I want to, to preserve the beauty, the richness of Advent. And so, you know, some things you do, like at my house, is, you know, we're not going to listen to Christmas music until the third Sunday of Advent. Like, it's, that's my compromise. The third Sunday of Advent... Gaudate Sunday, rejoice, it's the pink candle, okay, we can listen to some Christmas music. Rose. Um, right, rose, and it's not purple, it's violet, you know, but it is red. Anyway, so, um, like, I'll also say I don't want to get a Christmas tree until at least, you know, the third Sunday of Advent. But, you know, we've bent on that, so what we did last year, we got a Christmas tree at the beginning of Advent, but we did not decorate it. Until the third Sunday of Advent. And another thing I'd like to try 
is something I've been looking at family traditions. You decorate the tree, you have it all ready, but you do not l- plug in the lights for the tree until Christmas Eve, until Christmas. So you leave the tree in darkness. And I like that idea as well. But then, you know, giving up something, making some sort of sacrifice like you would do during Lent, you know, um, going to daily Mass, especially during those last um, last eight days of Advent where you got the O antiphons, you know, making some sort of a spiritual sacrifice as you prepare for Christmas. And then once Christmas does come, you celebrate that season to the fullest, not just Christmas Day, but you make that whole season a celebration. And um, that that can be also countercultural. People are packing away their Christmas trees. They're packing away all their decorations. That's when we should be coming into like the fullness of what Christmas is about. Do you yeah, have any... Leave it up. Do you have any uh, Advent traditions in your house, Mark? Other than oh. eating all the chocolate in your Advent calendar on the first day of Advent? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, um, we have an Advent calendar. It's more of a tree with these little boxes, and so there's a little treat for each box. Uh-huh. Um, historically in our family, uh, it was it was there's a tradition around the creche. So you might set it up the nativity scene, but there would be no Christ child until Christmas. Um, so my great-grandmother used to go around the neighborhoods and steal the baby Jesuses <laughs> out of the nativity scenes. Has the statute of limitations passed on that? Are you allowed uh, to say that? You don't want to get her in trouble. But uh, no, I mean, part of us, part of part of our house is completely pagan. I mean, goodness, the, the elf on a shelf, give me a break. Can't believe you have that creepy thing in your house. <clears throat> I know. So creepy. Uh, by the way, side note, I've used it to my advantage because now ours is named Jack. Jack will sometimes come with a, a different card every day, like a, a, not a card, like a note. Yeah. So because, you know, we got to use this thing to our advantage because what you tell your kids is that, you know, the elf is always watching and will report, no. you know, any ill behavior. No, no, no. That's so bad. I don't like hey, it. If I got to have this thing in my house, do you, it's going to work for me. Do you have to have this thing in your house? I guess I guess you do now. I do now, yeah. You know, I don't like that kind of stuff because it it teaches my children that Christmas is just about making sure they get a good gift. Like, and again, bah humbug on me. But I mean, I do want to give my children gifts for sure. But at the end of the day... I, it's not linked to whether they were naughty or nice. You know, thank God, thank God literally that he didn't send his son to save me because I had been nice that year, you know, like it was while I was still a sinner that he died for me. So I just, I don't like linking the incarnation with and like the giving of gifts with like somehow I earned it with my good behavior. So take that elf on the shelf and throw him to the wolves, my friend. I do not disagree with anything you just said. <laughs> you are teaching works-based salvation. Yeah, and you know, I'm trying to teach my kids about <clears throat> St. Nicholas, like the actual St. Mm-hmm. Nicholas. Who's you put the, the socks out or anything? I don't know. No, we're thinking on, De- on December 6th. That's when you put yeah. like the shoes out. Um mm-hmm. 
And yeah, like I want to teach them about St. Nicholas. And I actually want to teach the children at my parish about St. Nicholas. But there's this underlying sort of like, a, ooh, no, no, you can't. Because if you talk about St. Nicholas, they're going to know that Santa Claus is not a real thing. And that also grinds my gears, Mark. It like boils my blood. I'm like, there's actually a saint with God gazing upon his face, wanting to pray for your children, wanting them to receive the greatest gift of all, but we're not allowed to talk about him because it might dispel the myth of Santa Claus that we tell our children like it's real. And then one day they're going to grow up and say, well, you told me about Santa Claus and he's not real. Is Jesus not real either? You know, like we just, we should not link these things together, especially on a holy feast of the church. Suddenly have this other myth that we're just kind of winding together with this, the great true myth of Christianity and expecting our kids to be able to figure it out. I think it's an extreme disservice. You're a mean one. You, my friend, are, are on the naughty list. <laughs> if you have children, please don't let them listen to this podcast. The damage is done. <laughs> Anyways. This is the Church Dads podcast. Later in the show, coming up, we have a guest. Um, what have we done to prepare for this guest, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> we have done plenty. The next guest is a friend of mine, Father Brian Crenwelge, and he will be joining us um, from his parish in West Virginia. So stick with us. This is the Church Dads podcast. La 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 la. No Christmas music. <laughs> This is John Williams, and you're listening to the Church Dads Podcast. This is Father Andrew Strobel, a priest of the Archdiocese of Kansas City in Kansas and pastor of St. John Paul II Parish in Olathe, Kansas, and you're listening to the Church Dads. Welcome back to Church Dads. It's good to have Father Brian Crenwelge with us today. Father Brian, good to have you. Great to be here with you. Thank you. Father, you are the administrator at two parishes, Holy Rosary Catholic Church in Sistersville, West Virginia, and Mater Dolorosa Catholic Church in Payton City, West Virginia, and you are the newly appointed Assistant Director of Vocations for the Diocese of Wheeling, Charleston. Did wow. I get all that? <laughs> yes, yeah, and so they're using my youth while I have it, right? They're putting me <laughs> to work. Right. Which is great. No, it's it's a joy. Um, yeah, I, I was just assigned to these two churches here in June, uh, and then I just received. I became the assistant director for vocations in August. I believe it's August. Yeah. Um, Good. And so, yeah, it's been it's been a whirlwind. It's been great. And when were you ordained? I was ordained on June 4th, 2016. Okay. So coming up, not there yet, but coming up in three okay, years. Okay, wow. So. Amazing. That's awesome that you now get to be um, helping with the vocations uh, ministry, you know, having so freshly gone through all that discernment and preparation and formation yourself. Yeah, it's an honor. I mean, I, I find it a yeah, true honor to be able to serve the diocese and really strive to help uh Young men discern, or well, young, not all age, mm -hmm. all ages, but um, men discern God's will, and if they're being called to the diocesan priesthood, um, 
And you're yeah, you're right. I literally was just in their spot, you know, minus six years ago, yeah. you know, give or take. Um, and so it's, uh, I can still remember the, I mean, vividly what guys are thinking, what fears they might have, you know, the questions they're asking. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So I try to put, um, keep that in mind in perspective, yeah. um, but doing, striving to do my best, uh, with my imperfect self. So very good. As we all are. Very good. So today we're talking about Advent and the season of Advent. We thought we'd you'd be great to have on, to have the perspective of a pastor. So what are sort of the some of the little things you're doing right now from the perspective of a pastor as Advent approaches us, well, with a vigil mass tonight? Yeah, it's, it's actually funny that uh, we're recording this uh, today because literally I just finished um, redecorating the church for Advent. Um, I removed all the flowers mm. that we had in the sanctuary uh, because during uh, the penitential seasons of Lent and Advent, uh, according to the law of the church, flowers are not allowed. That's right. Uh, um, because, we're, you know, we're exterior people, right? I mean, the church uses exterior signs to teach inward realities. Uh, and what do flowers... Well, I'll ask, you, I'll ask you, when you see flowers... What does that point to? What do you think? Spring. Spring. <laughs> beauty. Life. life right? Yeah. yeah, which is great. Awesome. You know, thing. those are awesome things. Um, so if we remove that, we show that there's something uh, that we're longing for. There's, or, you know, it takes away something, mm. which is the point. Mm-hmm. I mean, Advent, since we talk about that uh, specifically, Advent, we're longing for Christ's coming, Right. Uh, we're also, that's one of the main points of Advent. Uh, people, uh, well, people generally know the second one too, for longing for something else. What is, what do you think it is? The second coming of Christ. That's why on the readings for this Sunday, it'll be all about the end of the world as we know it. Right. Uh, but I'll say this too, which we, we easily forget about, but Advent technically, if you ask the church, uh, Advent has three, there's three comings that it focuses on, right? So it's that we already talked about the coming of Christ, his nativity, December 25th. Uh, the second coming, his, you know, triumphal return at the end of the world. But we forget about another coming of his that we experience ourselves already, yes. which is the coming of uh, himself in the most holy Eucharist. Uh, so Advent focuses on those three things. Um, ultimately, you can just sum it up as Christ coming among us, you know, um, in Karnatus Est. You know, he became uh, flesh. So, uh, so today I was setting up, putting out purple, uh, altar linens because the color, the liturgical color of Advent is purple. Uh, and purple, we use well, other time, well, two other main times you see it. Uh, primarily, everyone will think Lent, right? Uh, because Lent is another penitential season when we're preparing for Easter, for Christ's uh, passion, death, and resurrection. Uh, and then, so there's 
But then there's also another time where we can see it. When do you guys think it is? Ooh, good question. When we can see purple. The keyword is you can see it. It's an option. Wouldn't it be at a funeral liturgy? Bingo. Ding, 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 yes, ding, ding. Oh. Uh, it's a teacher's pet. Sorry. <laughs> uh, funerals, you don't see this a lot, but funerals, the church allows for, for three main colors. Um, white symbolizing resurrection, um, purple, purple symbolizing repentance, need uh, forgiveness of sins, then black symbolizing death, the reality of death. So, Do you have black vestments, Father? Uh, is the Pope Catholic? Yeah. We have to have all our uh, liturgical. Um, That's great. So, and Fantastic. actually, the official color when Advent first began was black. Uh, mm. so, and now, but now it is uh, purple. But, mm. um, so, Advent, we, 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 can, we commonly uh, forget that Advent has a penitential aspect to it. We associate Lent, you know, suffering, you know, Lent, you know, the meatless Fridays, um, you know, just like, oh, the long, what is there, five Sundays of Lent. It just goes on and on and on. <laughs> um, but Advent, we've, we've really uh, forgotten that there is a penitential aspect to it. And the church teaches us this. Um, it's not as, I was not, it's not on the forefront like Lent is, right? Because Lent, we're actually focusing on the death of Christ, you know, uh, whereas we're focused on his coming. So there's a joy involved. There's a joyful expectation in Advent. However, remember, the, uh, we're really in Advent, we walk with the Israelite people of old, the Hebrew people of old, as they're longing for uh, the Messiah to come. And what did they do? Uh, they did uh, actions of repentance. Um, they would wear sackcloth and ashes. They would do all sorts of, uh, yeah, little ways of uh, uh, sacrifices uh, and their longing, recognizing their need for a savior. Uh, and so in Advent, uh, we're called to recognize our own need for a savior. So that's why there is no Gloria. You, will, you should, you will, you will not or you should not hear a Gloria if you go to the Vigil Mass tonight or uh, tomorrow, because uh, the Gloria, one of the Church's greatest hymns of praise to God, which has been in the liturgy, uh, if my memory serves me correctly, it was put in by a Pope in the Christmas Mass in, in the 100s. So it's been around, <laughs> right? So uh, that's, that's removed, though, because there's a sense of longing. We're longing to see God. Okay. Uh, then the, the priest wears purple, which is a sign of need for repentance. Um, so don't be fooled. We should be have a, there, there is a sense of repentance in Advent or there should be. Uh, yeah. It's not, there's no, it's, there's no coincidence that a lot of Catholic churches, um, will offer communal penance services, not just in Lent, but also in Advent. And uh, you're going to have to check me on this, but there, it always seems with Catholics, the Church always has to clarify a rule for someone who says, well, what's the least I have to do? What's the least I have to do? <laughs> what's the least I have to go to this? What's the least I have to receive this sacrament, whatever? And so I have to check this, but... 
I'm pretty sure the church. The answer is 15 pieces of flair, Mark. (laughs) 15 15 pieces of flair. (laughs) That's such a good analogy. Uh, Anyway, so I think the church instructs us to receive communion once a year. I believe that is the minimum. I believe the church instructs us to receive the sacrament of confession twice a year. Uh, so no, that's just once a year. It, yeah, it's once a year um, for both. For you know, they used to call it to the Easter duty. I think that was for communion, receiving communion on Easter. So um, yeah, it is one. It is once a year for the sacrament of confession. However, there is a little technically. Uh, I don't like to say this because I don't want to. Uh, prevent anyone from going to the sacrament of Christ's mercy, but uh, you know you only have to go to confession once a year if you have a mortal sin on your on your soul. That being said, go to confession. You know you should. It doesn't matter. You know go to confession if you have venial sins. Uh, you know, you know my my mother. I was very blessed. Um, my mother was a spiritual rock in a way in the family. She would take my sister and I to confession once a month. Uh, Every month, didn't matter, rain or shine, we'd walk there to the church we lived about. Um, and it didn't matter if we wanted to go or not. She felt the need that we needed to go, so we went. Um, and that drilled into me, though, from a very early age, from second grade on. I remember when we'd go to, we'd have the communal pen service at school, and I'd go in there, you know, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been you know, what, two weeks since my last confession, because, you know, I don't know, I just take me. We used to be like, what? He was like amazed, you know, <laughs> like two weeks, wow, you know. And to me, it was, I wasn't, you know, it had nothing to do with me, it had to do with my, my mom. She was the one who was like, you need, you know. So she drilled this into my sister and I, this practice of frequent confession, which when I became a priest, remember, so I lived in a very, I, I, I knew my, what I grew up with, and I, you know, I knew what I did, when I became a priest, it was mind-boggling to me to recognize many cat well, even more than many, sad to say, uh, Catholics don't see the beauty in confession. And even if they're practicing Catholics, like even if they're very like devout, they don't go to confession hardly ever. You know, and I was like, oh. I mean, that, that shocked me as it when I first was ordained because it was just not my experience growing up. Um, because confession is such a, well, it's one of the most beautiful aspects of our faith. Um, and once someone truly understands it, they want to go to confession. It's a desire on their hearts and their souls. Um, so Advent is a perfect time to go to confession. So it's because of that, we're, this is the, we're, we're recognizing our need for a Savior. You know, I hate to break it to people, but I always tell people this. Unless you are the Immaculate Conception, and we're about to celebrate you in a couple days, or unless you are the Savior of this world, uh, and maybe unless you're Saint Joseph, maybe that's a, that's a uh, uncertainty. You know, you have sinned. All right, so you need to go to confession. You know, yeah, it's necessary. We, it's not that we even, of course, we need it. It's something. Christ establishes. It's God-breathed. Yeah, we're, you're absolutely right. This is the perfect season to do it. And you mentioned your mother. We kind of mentioned, we were talking about this in the last segment. Did you have any particular Advent traditions during the season of Advent in your home? Sure. 
Um, yes, so we would have the Advent wreath uh, that we see at church. We had it on our dining room table. Um, and so each night as we sat down to uh, dinner, because we always we have family dinner every night, uh, we would light a candle, you know, depending on what week it was. And then we'd pray an Advent prayer, um, just depending on what my mom had. Um, so we had that. And then we also would hang up, uh, you see, typically an Advent calendar where you count down the days uh, to Christmas. We have Father Brian Crenwelge with us on the Church Dads podcast. Stick around because next, uh, all three of us are going to be available to answer three great questions during our Q&A period. Stick with us. Join the show discussion. Email the dads at churchdadspodcast at gmail.com. Follow the dads at facebook.com slash churchdadspodcast. Be a part of a revolution to empower the Christian family. This is the Church Dads Podcast. Welcome back to Church Dads. We are entering the Q&A period of the show here, the fourth segment. And we've got three really great, great questions and still have a lovely guest, Father Brian. So, uh, but these <laughs> questions are for all three. So, you know, feel free to chime in. But this is the first question from an anonymous person. It says this. We have a set of extremely beautiful blue vestments for Advent. They are made of silk and embroidered with silver and gold thread. Our new pastor will not wear them because they are the wrong color for Advent. Please tell me, is the color of Advent purple or blue? All right. So um, that's a great, that's a very important question because you see a lot of interesting things um, <laughs> around the world. Um, so as we mentioned in our the last uh, segment, is that uh, the color, the official color for Advent is purple, uh, symbolizing repentance. That being said, uh, it is um, not commonly known that there are, in a way, different um, shades of purple that are traditionally associated with Advent in comparison to Lent. There's a different, like if you go to Rome, um, the ad the color of the purple for Advent is more, more hear hear me out more bluish um, say that, than, than the one for Lent. That being said, there is not it's not officially like church law distinguished, you know, but that was just what they did, okay? So the color for Advent is purple. Yeah, I think if we reflect more on the purple, you know, the purple represents is very closely related to the readings that we're using in Advent, and a lot of the theme within those readings centers around royalty, and purple purple represents that royalty, and there's a specific, specific reason for that is because in the ancient world, purple dye was extremely expensive because it never faded. It would not fade in the sun, so there was this divine um, perception of purple because the dye would not fade, and so when you're walking around in your robes, um, it's somewhat more difficult in the ancient world to distinguish 
people's classes and um, you know high class, middle class, low class. Well, because you know we didn't have cars or Rolls Royces or whatnot. It was our it was the vestments. It was the the robes we would. If somebody was wearing a a purple robe, um, this was saying that this was a you know someone well off and royal possibly. <clears throat> so the theme within the readings for all four weeks is somewhat centered around royalty. Purple simply coincides with that. And I like that, that you see, even with royalty, we're linking Lent and Advent together. And I feel like underlying all this is this desire to somehow differentiate Advent away from Lent, away from its penitential character. And really, I mean, both of these seasons have this in common. You know, they're about preparation and penance. They're, of course, they're about Christ the King. But um, I really do think that there's a there's a union between Advent and Lent, a really profound union that shouldn't be broken. That's why I would argue for violet or purple to to remain. <laughs> so, yes, sure. sure, yeah, good. All right, love it. Question number two. Growing up, I was told that it was a sin not to attend Mass on Sunday. And what about Holy Days of Obligation? Do we still believe in all this? All right. So uh, the Church actually actually gives us um, minimum requirements to be considered a practicing Catholic. It's a minimum. So this is doing like, you know, the well, literally the bare minimal, and to actually be considered, yeah, I, I do live my Catholic faith. And those are the five precepts of the Church, which you never hear about. It's like as if they don't exist anymore, which they, which they are in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, and one of the precepts is that uh, a Catholic attends Mass on every single Sunday and all Holy Days of Obligation. Um, and so... To be a practicing Catholic, that's what you must do. And if you miss one of those intentionally, uh, freely, like no one's forced you not to miss Sunday Mass or Holy Day Obligation, and you recognize that this is a priest of the Church, that this is a serious, this is you know, how the Church applies the Third Commandment, um, and you do it anyway, that's a grave sin, that's a mortal sin. Uh, and you've cut off you freely, intentionally cut off your intention with our loving God, and you have to go to the sacrament of confession. Um, so, no, the Church has not changed that teaching. Uh, as we get more progressive into this, well, we're in the modern modern era, but modern era. But as we, for whatever reason, there's a new phenomenon. I think about this a lot because you know I've recognized in my own priesthood I, was, I had to fight against this. We don't like to offend people. We don't like to tell people what to do, and we do not like to be told what to do. And how dare a priest tell me to go to Mass on Sunday? Uh, well, actually, uh, Christ is telling you to go to Mass on Sunday because Christ speaks through his church. He promised he would. You know, he's telling the apostles, whoever hears you, hears me. Uh, and the Eucharist is so important. Uh, Christ's body, blood, soul, and divinity is so important. It's the source and stone of our life uh, that... that uh, the church recognizes as our mother that we need the Holy Eucharist. We need to uh, offer ourselves in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. Uh, that's why it's a priest of the church. That's why uh, we live the third commandment, keep holy the Sabbath day. Um, so know that none of that's changed. Uh, we still believe in it. Uh, and, I think the yeah. key there is knowing what the Mass is 
and uh, what our role in it is. You know, I think sometimes we think that the Mass is like a church service that we go to to do something, um, and really it's something that God is doing, and He's inviting us to participate with Him, like this great act, this eternal sacrifice that we get to participate in. There's actually a line I noticed recently, um, a sentence in the Eucharistic prayer, number three, that really struck me, like, um, right to my heart, and I thought, this is, this is the key to this question that I hear all the time. And it says, listen graciously to the prayers of this family whom you have summoned before you. And this idea that the Lord of the universe, who has given us new life, you know, who has, who has given us all of the grace, who has given us himself, has now summoned us before him. And the thought of us saying, no, I don't think I will appear before my Lord. You know, he summoned me, but I'm going to stay home. It's such a, a breach of relationship that, of course, it's grave. So it's not just like this arbitrary thing that the church is saying, well, we're going to decide this is a grave sin. It's actually like a breaking of relationship. Like the God, the Lord, the King of all kings has summoned you before him. He's given you everything, and he's summoned you. He's invited you to participate in this amazing sacrifice that's going to save the cosmos, and you say, no, I'm not going to come because I want to go to the soccer game instead. It's, a, it's, an, it's insane. It's insane is what it is. Question number three. After Midnight Mass, my daughter asked me what the smoke was all about. Though I know incense is a very Catholic thing, I was unable to answer her question. Can you help me? In essence. And I just say as a, um, another asterisk point, another just a side <laughs> note, um, I love incense, okay? Uh, it just, I love it. You know, I, I love when you walk into a church and it smells like incense. It smells like a church. Um, because incense is in a way it's otherworldly, right? As like, you don't see it being burned in Walmart. You know, you don't see it when you go like pick up a, uh, a Big Mac from McDonald's. You associate it with sacred things. Why is that? Um, well, I mean, incense, if you read the Old Testament, incense is very present. Um, in fact, God um, instructs uh, the Israelites to have incense burning in the tabernacle, which was uh, the uh, primordial in a way. Uh, well, it was, was pre-temple, so it would, the temple would replace it. Uh, when they were in the wilderness. And it would be perpetually burning because what did the tabernacle hold? It, uh, within the Holy of Holies, you know, was the Ark of the Covenant, uh, which had uh, the Ten Commandments. It had some of the manna from the desert. It had Moses' staff that budded. Um, and, but also they believed that God's presence was there. And so they burned incense. So it was a sign for God's presence. Um, but... It was also at God also asked it to be used when they would offer sacrifice, you know, and they offered sacrifice so frequently um, to God for their sins. And so it's associated with sacrifice. Um, then uh, we hear, um, well, it's, it's throughout the uh, Old Testament frequently, um, but in the Psalms, we hear that famous psalm, you know, my prayer shall rise up to you, Lord, like incense. Um, so it's symbolic of our prayers, you know, like the sacrifices being offered, the, our prayers rising to heaven. Um, 
and then in the book of Revelation, it, when uh, John sees uh, the New Jerusalem, sees he sees incense um, being offered uh, by the saints. You know, so prayers of the saints. Um, so it's very biblical, uh, and like like uh, Mark said, uh, mass is heaven on earth. So it draws us into the, the one liturgy of Christ offering Himself to the Father in heaven. Um, it's a sign of sacrifice. We're offering the sacrifice for the mass. Uh, it's a sign of our prayers. So it's it's such a, a you know it's such a deep um, symbolism to it, um, and it smells great. Um, so that's and that's I think that's the yeah. third thing that incense represents. You know, we have the idea of us being consumed and offered up. We have the idea of our prayers rising to God, but then also that odor, you know, it sort of represents the, our virtue, that odor of sanctity that we want to have in our life. You know, we often the saints, they've said that they've died with the odor of sanctity, but I mean, we constantly want people around us to be sort of sniffing us and going, what is, what is it about you? You know, there's something... There's something about you. There's some the, the the good works that we do, the virtue that we have by the power of Christ. Um, it's just stuff that we could never do on our own. Um, so that odor, that good odor. In fact, the word odor, I believe, originates with uh, with this with this Christian significance, like the actual word odor. Anyway, fascinating, but not <laughs> not necessarily applicable right now. <laughs> well, it makes sense. I mean, Christianity yeah. or Western society, with you know something I learned recently. No, something I learned recently. This is totally an aside, but the word bead, bead, b e a d, actually means etymologically, like the history of the word, it means to ask. It comes from like bidden, you know, and and so like the bead, the prayer beads, like huh. that's what gave beads their name. So. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. That makes. Oh, I was say that, but that's fascinating because the prayers of the faithful, uh, the universal uh, prayer in the Mass, technically, if you look up what they're referred to in the um, general instruction, they're called the bidding prayers. Ah, see, amazing. Mm-hmm. I love yeah. words, words, yeah. words, yes. words, words. Um, yes. Good. Excellent, Father Brian. So great to have you. Thank you for joining us. An honor. I, I greatly appreciate the invitation. Come out and okay. visit um, Payton City, Mata de Rosa, and uh, Sisters of the Holy Rosary anytime. Okay, I'll Absolutely. be there tomorrow. <laughs> I'm wondering, Father, if you could uh, if you could exit our show with uh, your priestly blessing. Sure. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. And mighty God bless you and all of you who are listening. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you again. Absolutely. This is the Church Dads Podcast. Go home and love your families. Church Dads is a regular podcast hosted by Mark Hawes and Curtis Ketty. Join the discussion by emailing the dads at churchdadspodcast at gmail.com and follow them on Facebook facebook.com slash churchdadspodcast Want to change the world? Go home and love your family. Mm -hmm.